Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. This is Radio Influence. The future is now. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hello, my friends. Hello, hello, hello. I hope you all have had a wonderful week. I hope you guys have had a week like I have. A week of experiences, a week of fun, a week of laughing, a week of enjoyment, a week of pleasure, a week of meeting some pretty amazing people, a week of uh, kind of debauchery in a way, uh, a week of, again, just, just pure fun. You know, uh, uh, everybody talks to me and asks me, what is Duffified? Well, uh, Duffified is a way of life. It is a way of experiencing things, never saying no, getting out there and traveling and meeting people and shaking people's hands and creating memorable, uh, lifetime memories. Um, I want to welcome you guys to episode number five of Duffified Live, this crazy little show that I get to do, where I get to talk to you guys about uh, some of the things that I do, some of the things that other people do, some of the things uh, that I get to see and experience and and uh, and kind of find along the way through this world that, uh, uh, that we all live in, in a world where uh, things can be pretty negative, in a world where people are bitching and moaning and complaining and protesting and standing up for their rights and standing up for their beliefs. Um, and I get to see a lot of that. I, I get to meet people all over the place from, from, from standing in an airport line, you know, getting ready to board a plane, uh, where I, I have a conversation with a couple that is, you know, 40 years older than I am. I mean, these people were easily 80 years old and just a very nice conversation. And, and, uh, and this happened to me twice this week where I had conversations with people where somebody had said to me, and, and you, you know, it, it makes you feel proud when you hear this stuff, but I think it'll make, you know, even my mother proud. But when somebody will say to you, what a nice person you are and how well your parents raised you and how proud they should be, which is so odd because it's a simple conversation. You know, I had a very nice couple that was next to me standing in line. And, you know, as, as people are trying to bustle and get onto the plane and because, you know, we all have to get on the plane first. Everybody's got to get there as soon as possible. And no offense to anybody else. I, I am one of those guys. I like to get on. I like to sit down. I like to kind of get settled well, as soon as I get onto the plane. Um, and there was somebody and, and I'm, I'm like, you know, I mean, I fly a lot. So I've got you know, status with American air, which anybody who knows, I absolutely love American air. It's not a commercial for them, but I just, you know, they do their stuff. We have a great time and they laugh and we kind of tweet each other and, you know, do some Instagram stuff back and forth. And, uh, but they typically, they're, they're always very nice from the pilots to the flight attendants to, you know, the gate attendants. I, I've always had genuinely very good experiences. And if I haven't had a good experience, um, you know, then I have that conversation with somebody and, and, and oddly enough, I've had very good responses 
positive responses from somebody if I have that. So, so anyway, uh, I'm standing in line and, uh, you know, people are kind of pushing to get through. I'm standing in the priority lane as it is. And, you know, they call first class and, you know, I start to move forward and, and there was an old, an elderly, a couple that was older than I am, like I said, about 40 years older than me, who was standing in front of me and somebody had kind of pushed through and, uh, and without even looking or anything else. And the funny part about that was the guy had then gotten in front of all of us, gotten up to the front, and the woman had said, the flight, the, the gate attendant, he scanned his pass and she said, Oh, I'm sorry, we're not, we're boarding first class right now. Uh, you're going to need to go back. And the guy was all pissed off and kind of put his hands up in the air and, uh, and, and turned around and kind of walked back. But the funny thing is, you know, that everybody was looking at him and laughing. And so the woman next to me kind of laughed and she said, Everybody's in such a rush. And I looked over. I said, exactly. We all have to get to the same exact place. The plane's not going anywhere until we get on. We had a very little, you know, kind of quick little conversation. And the gentleman that I was talking to actually was retired uh, military. He was a Marine. And uh, we had a nice conversation. I thanked him for his service. And, you know, he thanked me for being so nice. And at the end of that little banter, that little bit of conversation that we had, uh, the woman looked at me and she said, your mother must be so proud. You're such a nice man. And those things kind of, they make you feel good, you know? So that was kind of my boost for the rest of the day uh, when I get onto the plane and I sit down and then, uh, you know, as I get on the plane, there's a gentleman sitting next to me and uh, we're kind of talking. He kind of looks over. He said, oh my God, you know, they got to put the two biggest guys next to each other. And next to him is a woman who, uh, who was smaller than the two of us and she was window and he was ex-Air Force. She's a Marine. And they were both on their way out to California, out to San Diego to do some work and stuff. And, um, you know, I thanked them for their service and I had a great conversation with them. And the funny thing as I sat there and as I stood up and I kind of looked around and nobody was looking at anybody. There was no conversation. There was no – everybody's staring at their phones. So I kind of reach into my bag and I I always have recipe cards with me. And I joke around because it's got like a big, huge picture of me on the front of it. And I say, hey, excuse kind of the cheesiness of this. But here's a really simple recipe that I have for a pulled pork um, that I do, which I'll post this on Duffified Live if you guys want to see it. It's a really simple like eight-hour pulled pork that's pretty good. and It's done with spices and, and brown sugar and vinegar and all that stuff. But I always give them out to people because I try to create memorable experiences for people. That's what the world of Duffified is. It's about experiencing, meeting, gaining, learning, uh, educating, uh, creating. That's what this whole world is about. So, so that's what I hope I can kind of give to you guys. But, but, but when I think back to this flight and how, how interacted – how engaged I was with the people that were around me. And then I look around to all the other people and nobody's looking at each other. Everybody's looking at their phones. There's no conversation. There is no banter. There is no back and forth. And I thought to myself, these people are all missing out. They're missing out. There is no interaction. There is no engagement. So it's kind of weird to me that that that's what we've turned into in this world. So, so for this week, I want you guys to do me a favor. Because I try to talk about this stuff all the time. I want you to put your phones down for a couple minutes. Of course, after you're listening, you're done listening to this. Put your phones down. Put it in your pocket. When you sit to dinner or sit to lunch with your friends, play a game called cell phone roulette. Take all your phones, stack them in the middle of the table. Leave them on. Don't turn them off. And the first person, first person that reaches for their phone, they have to pay the bill. First person. Doesn't matter. 
If it's been sitting there for two minutes, 30 seconds, 20 minutes, an hour, first person that reaches for their phone has to pay the bill. And it's kind of funny what will happen because you all joke around about it for the first couple of minutes. Everybody jokes. Everybody laughs. Everybody giggles. And hey, do me a favor. I'm no stranger to this world. I take pictures of my food. I, I, I stop looking at people sometimes. But I'm starting to pay much more attention to it. So I want you to put your phones down in the middle of the table. I want you to stack them as high as you can. Six people, 12 people, 18 people. Who gives a shit? Just stack the phones in the middle. And sit down, and everybody talks about it for the first three, four, five minutes. Oh, my God, it's driving me crazy. I can't believe I'm not on my phone. I never want to use my phone anyway. Like, people will almost, they will talk themselves into the fact that they don't need to have their phone. But meanwhile, it's almost like a crack addiction. Like, it's really kind of bothering them for that first couple of minutes. People are twitchy. They're a little bit fidgety. They don't really know what to do. You can see their eyes kind of gazing over at their phone. And then the really fun part to watch is after people realize that they don't have their phones on them, after people just kind of forget that they've just put their phones in the middle of the table, a conversation ensues. People start to pay attention. People start to laugh. Every now and then you talk about something, you reference it, and you're like, oh, let me show you a picture. Oh, no, I can't. I'll show it to you later. You know, so it's kind of neat. You're forcing that interaction. You're forcing that conversation, which is what we do anyway. What we want to do, we go out to dinner these days and we sit there and cross from each other. We don't even talk. We stare into our phones the whole time. Eating out and dining and traveling and all of this that goes along with that, it's all about interactions. It's all about meeting people and talking with them and finding out from them. So that's what I want you guys to do this week is to take that phone, put it down in the middle of the table for a little bit. When you get home, take it away from your kids. I start to do it with mine. I realized that I spend so much time on my phone because it's quote unquote for business. You know what I'm doing? I'm tweeting a picture of my goddamn tuna sandwich. It's not business. I'm trying to prove to the world that my food looks better, that what I'm eating is better than yours. My experience is better than yours. Although it is fun to look and see this stuff from other people. And we all know that we're all voyeurs at heart when it comes to this. So, so that's my kind of thing for you guys this week. But I said before that I had two interactions with elderly, with people that were older than I was 30, 40 years, whatever it was. And I had some crazy experiences this week because I got to travel out to San Diego. Um, I came out here for a couple of different things. Um, I signed a contract with a, uh, with a company uh, that I'm doing some recipes for. Um, big, big, massive beer company. Um, and I'm, I get to do recipes for them. I get to take their product, their beer, um, and they gave me five products that they want me to work with. And I have to come up with 20 recipes. And these 20 recipes are then going to be used for major, major brands. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm not going to tell you what they are. We'll get to that stuff a little bit further down the road. But I got, I was able to fly out to San Diego and I came out a couple of days early so that I could hang out with some friends and spend some time with some people and, um, and, and, and really work and, and at, at the same time, relax, take a break, chill out, experience. So I drove out into the desert. I went out to a place called Borrego Springs and drove out there and it was a beautiful ride the whole way out, despite that it was kind of rainy and cloudy. Um, it was overcast most of the time. You know, you think you're in February, close to March in the desert. Um, I was in the Cleveland forest 
and the Azora, I believe it is, Azora Desert, which is on the, the western portion of San Diego in between Palm Springs and San Diego. And it's a great little town, super tiny little town. Literally, I didn't see a stoplight the whole way through. Um, you're taking 78 to get out there, 78 west. You drive through Poway and Ramona. Um, and along the way, I kept seeing because I didn't really spend a lot of time on my phone on the way out because I drove. And as I looked around at everything around me, you get to see things that you never see. So Im- immediately you're driving out of this city of San Diego, which is beautiful, warm, sunny, although not so much this day, but that's okay. It was still out there in spirit. Um, And then as I left and got further out into the forest and I looked around and everything's bright green and, and the flowers that are on the, on the road are purple and yellow and just beautiful. And then as you start to drive out further, automatically there's a change. It changes from this great forest setting, which is the Cleveland forest into the desert trees go away. Now you're starting to look at these beautiful cactus that are all over the place. They're growing out of the ground, these tiny little ones. And then you see the big ones and you see things running around out there. Uh, It was really kind of a cool experience. And then went into this place called Galetta Meadows, um, which there's an artist who lives out there who's kind of taken over this whole desert area in Borrego Springs. This guy makes these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful pieces. Um, There's everything from huge rats to a scorpion that's about to fight a cricket that's just in the middle of the desert. You know, there was uh, there was a whole bunch of sculptures of like 15 or 20 people uh, that were out there that were picking uh, grapes off of the vine because there's some vineyards out there as well. And then. Going over and there's a huge statue of, a, of a, what seems to be a nun or a priest carrying a huge cross with a rosemary around – a rosemary with a rosary. I'm a chef, guys. I can make mistakes just like everybody else. Food's always on my mind. With a rosary around his neck and then there was a dog next to it with a big stick in his mouth. And this was like in the middle of the desert. And then I got to kind of walk through and kind of take some time and some some just some chill time and kind of look around and – and see the peacefulness and the beauty of this country that we live in and and standing underneath of these mountains that are just massive, that just swallow you up. And it's very kind of calming. Um, leaving there and then going and hopping into this tiny little town of uh, Borrego Springs into the Christmas Circle, they call it, which I don't know why because Christmas is only for you know one day out of the year, but they have a whole circle dedicated to it. And there's a couple of tiny little restaurants, and I went into this place called Carly's, and. Inside of Carly's was this old school, like out of the 50s, 60s dive bar um, that was super clean and they had a huge menu. I know there were 117 items on the menu because uh, you ordered by number. And uh, I think we got some uh, spinach and artichoke dip or something stupid like that that was super rich and creamy and juicy and oily. And, uh, you know, you're eating it with like flatbreads. And and I was drinking beer. So I had a great beer that's a San Diego-based beer. It's from a company called Mission Brewery. And I drank their blonde, which I loved. I don't drink beer. You know, you guys that we talk about all the time, what I drink, I drink goose and soda. Three olives and a lime, single tall. That's called Chef's Night Out. But – This time, I was drinking some beer. They didn't have goose, and I thought, you know what? 
taking a break. I'm going to have myself some mission beer. So it was really good. I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. We laughed for a while. The bartender that was back there, super friendly, older woman, probably 60, maybe 65, has worked there for years. A couple of cool people that were working in there as well. Really nice group of people that were sitting in there. There were, you know, kind of a, a out-of-towners that were coming in. Saw, uh, you know, a, a, a good couple that had walked in, a gay couple uh, that had walked in and, and kind of, you know, the group, the, the people that I was with, we really wanted them to sit with us because we knew that they were going to be fun uh just the look on them the appearance of them uh you know maybe judging them a little bit they had just come in from somewhere and just like you know total fashion uh driven you could tell by the clothes they were wearing they just weren't locals so uh hanging out in there for a little while and you know doing my touch tunes thing and playing my music on the jukebox and you know kind of owned the place and it was funny because as we got up to leave and we all walked out the front door one of the bar one of the servers had come over and she's like oh my god you guys are leaving She's like, are you going to be coming back? And we all kind of looked and, you know, we looked at each other and thought, yeah, let's, you know, we'll come back for dinner, whatever. So left there and kind of walked over into the little grocery store across the street and grabbed some water and stuff and grabbed some booze and everything. And then we all kind of left and, and, uh, uh, went over to this great resort that we stayed, um, into a casita, which was pretty cool. Um, just a really neat area. And then at the, uh, later on in the night, Ended up hopping out and hopping into the pool and into the hot tub and just kind of chilling out. It was such a, a, a peaceful experience after having, you know, some kind of really cool divey bar food and after the day. And it was kind of really overcast, but the whole sky had completely cleared up. So sitting out there and they had these really cool green lasers um, that were coming off the top of the building that were that were literally hitting all of the palm trees that were out, out there and all the, the bushes and everything. And the wind that was coming through was whipping through this great canyon in the desert. And the lights, everything was just kind of dancing. So imagine these palm trees just swaying in this 10, 15 mile an hour wind. You're sitting in a hot tub and all that heat is just kind of surrounding your body and you're looking up and you're seeing stars like you've never seen before. Just bright, vivid stars. You can literally just pick out Orion's Belt and the Big Dipper and the North Star and the Little Dipper and all these star clusters that are above you and formations and whatnot. You can see the planets that are up there, these big, bright planets. Um, and then beneath all of that is this canopy of trees with this wide open picture view look through into the sky. And all these trees are just dancing and swaying back and forth with all these green lights just kind of dipping through it. So if you ever get a chance, head out to Borrego Springs. Check it out and have some fun. But then after we sat out there and then everybody, you know, we ended up going over to dinner back to Carly's again. Drove that super long stretch of road, which is like three miles, but feels like 30 miles because it's totally jet black except for these big, bright diamonds that are shining from the sky. It was really pretty awesome. Going in, pulling into Carly's again, walking in the front door. There's the server who said hi to everybody as we were walking out earlier in the day. Oh, my God, you guys are back. So so walk in and sit down and out comes the bartender who was like kind of surly, kind of a dick, uh, you know, really didn't want to talk much. Uh, you know, you guys only have 10 minutes deep before the kitchen closes, like kind of banging it out, like hurry up and get it done. So I order uh, the uh, tuna salad in the tomato and the avocado. So I got a half an avocado stuffed with tuna fish. I got a, tap, a whole tomato cored out stuffed with tuna fish. I got a side of chicken just grilled because I like to eat protein. And I'd been drinking a lot, so I didn't feel like eating something super heavy. So I got that. And on top of my, my mixed iceberg and little romaine uh, garnish, quote unquote, on this huge oval plate, uh, 
with uh, with mandarin oranges as the garnish. Um, you know, it's a dive bar, man. What do you expect? I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't going to get the ribeye. I didn't feel like spending the money on a ribeye because it probably wouldn't have been something I wanted to really enjoy. So I got tuna. You know, I got tuna salad, man. I got a mix: avocado, black pepper, a little bit of hot sauce, and a beer. Jukebox, good company. It's all you can ask for. And then as I look over on the wall, there's a there's a, a a bust, not like a bust like boobs, like a bust like like you'd see in uh in an office, like a head mounted like a deer head, which they had this stuff all over, and it was a jackalope. They had a mount mounted head of a jackalope, which was pretty cool to watch. And the bartender's telling us about it, and I ended up buying the bar around, which is you know I may sound like a big spender in this case, but there were four other people at the bar, so it really wasn't that big of a deal. But oddly enough, we ended up leaving the bar. Everybody had good smiles, so it's, it, it's funny that I I go in there first thing in the morning or during the day, and there's a totally different vibe during the day than there was at night. But it's funny how just by interacting and communicating and kind of uh, opening yourself up a little bit that I got that bartender to open up as well. So here's the deal. While I, I, I'm, I know I'm all over the place today, but I really had just a great week, really very kind of relaxing and chill, spent quality time with quality people and uh, just had a really good time. But but I want to talk this one more thing about this older couple that I was driving through um, a little town that I can't remember the name, Jasper or Jovial or, or something, uh, uh, Julian, 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 California. And I stopped into the Julian Pie Company. And as we were walking in, uh, there was an older – there were two women who I believe to be nuns. I can't say, but they both did have crosses around their necks. And as we walked in through the door and I held the door for them, the woman said, thank you so much. She said, you seem like such a nice man. I heard you talking. And she said, your mother must be so proud. So you know what? Thank you very much to the two older ladies that were walking into the Julianites, the Julian Pie Company, which, by the way, I had a badass piece of apple pie topped off with some sharp cheddar, topped off with some caramel sauce, topped off with some vanilla bean ice cream. Really kind of a cool thing. Super hot pie, melted cheese for the richness, that really sweet, melty cream of the ice cream over top of it. It was just like the perfect snack in the middle of a crappy, rainy afternoon on a drive through the desert with good people. Those are the experiences. And then on top of it, somebody tells you that your mother should be proud. Rock on, man. That to me makes for a great day. So this is episode number five of Duffified Live. I hope you guys are going to enjoy it. I hope you guys have some fun with it. I hope you guys enjoy two things. One, I really hope you enjoy my interview with Chef Kevin DeShane. It's getting ready to come up. I also met an Uber driver while I was in the car with a whole bunch of people uh, that work for uh, uh, Miller Coors because I was out here for the Vibe Conference, which is the very influential beverage executive conference. I believe that's what Vibe stands for. It's put on by a company called Questex. Questex also puts on nightclub and bar. So obviously, for those of you who know about me, I'm I'm on the admin board for nightclub and bar, changing this whole nightclub and bar around from this crazy negative vibe that was there for so many years prior um, into a really cool educational, experience-based, informational, innovation uh, seminar that's going on in Vegas at the end of March. Um, So that's the reason why I was in San Diego was to meet with these guys from Questex, go through some stuff for that, hang out with some friends, create new experiences, then go and do my Vibe event with Miller Coors. Um, But... uh, 
it was just a it was a, a good quality week. And and as we sit in this car and I start having a conversation with this guy and, and we we're discussing about the fact that he's an Uber driver and he was very, very knowledgeable. And he started to talk about San Diego a little bit. Then we started to talk about boozing. And this is where we kind of get into the fact that he was telling us the uh, the game plan that he taught his daughter on how to drink. So this piece coming up right here is our Uber driver who I'm going to interview on another show sometime, on another episode of Duff Live. We're going to definitely going to talk to this guy. So do me a favor. Check my boy out right here. This is a really cool little segment. It's only about two and a half, three minutes long about a conversation that we had with an Uber driver on the, on the way that he taught his daughter how to drink. So check this out for me. This is Big Dave, Smart Party Girls Drinking Guide. Step one, pregame. Ladies, this does not mean shots at the table, in the kitchen table. This means we eat before we start drinking. Ruffage is best, pizza is also good. But whatever you do, eat before the drink up. Step two, get a game plan. We're gonna hit the club at eight, we're gonna leave at 2 a.m. That's a six hour drink up, that's plenty of time. Great night out. Divide the game into four quarters. Quarter one, eight to 9.30. Hit it hard. Get after it. Get your drink on. Quarter number two, come in strong, not quite as hard. Here's the most critical part of the plan. Set a halftime timer. So you know at 11 o'clock, your phone goes off. One more drink in the second half. So at 11, you're drunk. At 12, you still got a good buzz. At one, you're coming down. And at two, you're not that drunk bitch getting her hair held in the battle. <laughs> so we've gone through the four quarters. Last two tips, very important. Pick a lane and stay in it. Figure out what you're drinking tonight. Drink that all night. Beer, <laughs> rum, wine, whatever. But you can't do all the above. And uh, the last rule is shots are for rookies. Shots are for rookies. Shots are for rookies. Shots are for rookies. When your friends try to pressure you into drinking shots, just tell them shots are for rookies. Shots are for rookies. Because you've got a drinking plan. That's it. I'm out. Cheers, man. So there we go. Everybody's here. We're all good. And guess what, guys? It really works. So that's my buddy Dave Mason. He's our Uber driver in San Diego. And uh, we're going to interview him this week on Duffified Live to find out what his entire plan is. Because he's got a 22-year-old daughter that he's giving advice to. I don't know if that plan matches with mine where I told my 16-year-old she's got to carry cranberry juice in her purse. So cheers. So that's our Uber driver. This guy was awesome. Uh, he actually ended up emailing me after we left the Uber and uh, said he wanted to talk sometime. So I'm going to have him on in the next couple of weeks. Uh, super funny dude. Really, really good guy. I don't know what it is about San Diego, and I don't know what it is about the Uber drivers out here, but I had some of the best drivers that I've ever had. So Uber, San Diego, you guys are crushing it. It's Duffified Live. Yeah, this is episode number five, people, five of them. So far, we have, uh, we've interviewed a couple of chefs. We've interviewed a uh, spiritual guru. Uh, we have had a little bit of fun. We've definitely had some fun. And this week is going to be no different. Uh, I had a great conversation this week with a guy that I met a couple of years ago up in Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun Wine Festival, which I, I talk about it all the time. I know you guys have heard me say it before, especially now because it just happened a couple of weeks ago, like the last week in January. But I had the luxury, the pleasure, uh, the honor of of meeting a good dude, a guy who 
I really like. Uh, he is a chef. Um, he's running the circuit with the TV chef stuff. Super uh, energetic. Very, very knowledgeable. Um, and just an all-around good dude. You know, you meet people and you connect with them. And it's kind of cool. You know, we have this, this kind of... Uh, uh, switch in our in our brains that's uh, when you first meet somebody that kind of says you know hey flip that switch on I really want to meet this person or flip that switch off I want nothing to do with these guys um, Kevin is one of those guys who is definitely a switch on kind of guy he's definitely somebody you want to have in your corner definitely somebody that uh, you know you want to have in your arsenal definitely somebody that you want to have on your side um, not just because he's a quality human being uh, he's a very talented chef but he's just a down and you know downright good dude. So, so this week I, I'm talking to Kevin DeShane. Uh, Kevin is a personal chef. He's a TV chef, quote unquote, celebrity chef. You know, we all kind of that terms thrown down all the time, but, uh, you know, Kev is definitely one of those guys. So, um, I, I hope you guys enjoy this little kind of banter that we have because Kevin and I touch on a lot of things, um, how we got into the industry, uh, what he's doing now, and kind of some of the struggles that he has at this point. You know, he's also got a, a small child at home. Uh, he has a wife at home. He's got a, another baby on the way, plus living this life of this traveling kind of minstrel, if you will, which is what we do. You know, we show up in a city, we act, we perform, we cook, you know, we clean up a little bit and then we roll back out. So it's a pretty weird world that we live in, but, uh, but it's a good world. And we, and I, I think we really enjoy it. And I think that when you're done listening to this interview with Kevin, you are going to see why I like him and why I like what he does and, and why it is that when you, uh, when you lead this kind of world that we do, of you know traveling from city to city and hotel to hotel, why it's good to have guys like this in your corner. So everybody, do me a favor, uh, check out my buddy. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff at Chef Kev D. His website is chefkevd.com. Ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor, uh, turn up your headphones, turn up your radios. Uh, there is some cursing in here, so uh, put some earplugs into your kids' ears if you choose to listen to this in front of them. And welcome to episode number five. Duffified Live, Chef Kevin DeShane. Y'all know that uh, that I am a chef and, that, and that's what I do, but I also have this other world of being able to travel and, and be a dad and 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 kind of you know, friends and, and all that good stuff. But but a huge part of my life is 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 kind of hanging out with chefs and talking to chefs and getting involved with them. And uh, a couple of years ago. I was up at the Mohegan Sun Wine Festival, which is just an amazing event that happens every single year. We actually just got back from it, and uh, which is why I'm talking to my next guest right now. Um, whenever I get to go up there, it's one of the greatest weekends for me because it's such an awesome opportunity to hang out with other people that are like you, you know, that, that work this crazy industry, that know the, the struggles of being an owner, an operator, uh, a family man, a friend, all that stuff. And uh, my next guest is no stranger to any of that. He's been around for a long time, um, done a tremendous amount of things within the business, um, and just is, is generally pretty much just a really good dude. Um, so everybody do me a favor and uh, turn it up or plug it in or download it or or put it in your pocket and, and listen to it, whatever it is. But this is my buddy, Chef Kevin DeShane. What's up, brother? What's happening, Chef? Thanks for having me. It's absolutely my pleasure, man. My pleasure. I was uh, I was pretty stoked to see you up at Mohegan Sun a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I tell you what, that's one of my favorite events of the year. Lindsay really knows how to take care of the chefs. It's just a great setup, the whole thing, the whole weekend, all the events. It's pretty sweet. 
I mean, seriously, like they put you up in a sick room. You get a comp for the weekend. Uh, they put Jasper White puts on a, a, just a, a complete riot of a meal where all these chefs are hanging out. And Jasper's just bringing out food after food after food. Uh, it's a great event. Yeah, it's like ten, it's like ten courses and beers and wines, and you're like, I can't even eat anymore. It's, this is amazing, but I can't, I can't do ten courses. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're pretty great. And have you? I usually get up there pretty early on Fridays, um, and one of my reasons for getting up there early. So when I talk about getting up there, everybody, I'm talking about going to Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut, where Lindsay uh, Santoro puts on. Uh, they they do a huge event, and there's there's like forty or fifty chefs that end up being there. It's a really big, high profile people it's really just a cool event but um but one of the things i do as soon as i get up there is i go to jasper's and i sit down and i have clam bellies um and uh this year i had some fried smelts there you go i get in there before anybody else is up there and i get to sit down at the bar with my laptop and just laugh yeah that's the key getting in there before because it gets pretty crazy once that event starts there's so many different little satellite events and there's people everywhere so it's good that you can get a minute to yourself it's funny i was i was sitting at the bar and i actually ended up tweeting this but there were uh, there were two women that were sitting across from me with their husbands and they were eating whatever they were eating and 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 i'm listening to their conversation and one woman takes a bite of the cornbread and she's like there's something in here i just can't put my finger on it and the other woman's like, I know what you're saying. It's like sweet. And they're having this conversation back and forth. And the woman sits there for a second. And she's like, lavender. It's lavender. <laughs> they put lavender in there. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? First off, you're not sensing lavender in, in Jasper White's cornbread. Um, but it's so funny to watch the people that get up there, especially during a weekend like a, like a wine and, f- and food festival where, you know, everybody's a, everybody's an expert. So. Right, because they watch the Food Network and the Cooking Channel, and they mimic the judges every time they go out to dinner. Exactly. Oh, I'm catching a floral note, not in cornbread, you not, but nice try. <laughs> so you, what have what have you been doing recently, man? What's what's going on? Uh, for the most part, I've been doing a lot of private chef events in like the Boston and Cambridge area. That keeps me busy, and then I travel with you know different festivals, and uh, I do a lot of. Uh, TV, like uh, I'm uh, scheduled for the Today Show in March, which oh, I know cool, you've done man. a few times. What are you doing for today? Uh, I'm just going on to do a cooking segment. I got a cookbook coming out in the spring. Well, that's awesome, so we're, dude. We're going to talk about that a little bit, make a dish, um, and we're just working to lock down a date at the end of March. Oh, that's cool, dude. There's such awesome people. Uh, what? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to shout out producers' names on air, but <clears throat> we can talk about that afterwards. But I can give you the names of the people that I deal with up there. Who are just at, they're, they're beautiful people, man. They they treat you so well when you get up there. Yeah, well, she seems you, really nice. Just the contacts we've had so far. That's cool, man. So, what's your book? Uh, it's called Make It Nice, which is a phrase I've used a lot in the kitchen over the last 20 years. You know, when you're on the line on a Saturday night screaming out orders, two lamb, two salmon, medium rare this. And I always end the, the big ones with Make It Nice. So just everybody, you know. So I, I've just adopted that term. And uh, it's just basically recipes, photos, stuff I've compiled over the last 20 years. And there'll be like, you know, four or five kind of short stories about different periods in my career. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. I like that. What, yeah. uh, we, you know, we all want to yeah. write books. What made you finally get to the point that you were like, screw it, I'm going to sit down, I'm doing this right now? Well, I had a couple people, different uh, companies asking me and say, you know, you do want to come and do a book signing and this and that. I didn't even have a book yet. Um, and I started to think about it and I have enough content just from the things that I've done already that, you know, if I can put together a few chapters of just stories and like, like I said, different chapters of my career, then I've already got 80% of a book 
Right. You know, with all the recipes I've already printed and published and pictures and things like that. So it's kind of a compilation for my first my first effort. Now, did you do this on your own or did you have somebody else help you write it? Uh, I have a, I have a team. My wife's an editor. She's an English major and all that. And but uh, I, and I have a graphic designer and a good buddy of mine from high school. That's a crazy artist who's working on the cover art. So I couldn't do it by myself. So I got a team of people, but I'm actually going to publish the first round myself. Nice. Uh, do it that way because I always I already have a pre-order for like 500 books. So oh, that's cool, dude. Why give that to the publishing house when I can, and then they'll pick it up after that. So that's, that's a awesome. pretty good way. A lot of people are doing that these days. So what 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 made you go? I mean, you just kind of said that, but what really made you go at the end of of self-publish against you know uh, house publish? Just timing. A lot of these self-published, you know, if you if you have the book already laid out and ready to go, you know, they can ship you a finished product within a week. Wow, that's awesome. Where a lot of these publishing houses is like eight to ten weeks, and then there's a lot of red tape, and um, I kind of need it available in the spring, so it was the quickest and most efficient way to do it for me. Cool, man. I know when I was I, so I'm 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 repped by William Morris, and I have an amazing group of agents over there. And my my literary agent, a guy named Eric Lupfer, we started the whole process. I'm not kidding you, dude. Probably three years ago, right? And hired and hired a uh, an an author who was a friend of mine, who who was a producer actually on Bar Rescue, a culinary producer. And then she like disappeared, like she just didn't want to do the job. I don't know what happened with it, but all of a sudden she like walked away. And we went back and forth and back and forth, and it, we like it, it, the, the whole process is a pain in the ass. So, I, I mean, to do it yourself, I'm like, like, cheers, man, kudos. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, as you know, for doing it for this long, there's really nobody that's going to work as hard for you as you. Yes, you know, we have good people, and they share the vision, and they're working really hard, but nobody's going to push as hard for yourself as yourself. So, I figured, you know, for my first shot, I'd do it myself. Nice. So are you in, are you, in, how often are you in restaurants now? Um, quite a bit. I just did a, a big uh, cocktail brunch this weekend at, at a place called Kai Bar in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Oh, cool. And I just, I've been doing a lot of guest chef appearances, um, the private chef thing. Cause you know, I mean, as you know, being in the restaurant, you're there 70 hours a week. Yeah. I got a new baby, one on the way. Uh, so this, at least for now has afforded me flexibility schedule wise. I can take my own events. I can, you know you know, take or leave private events and chef stuff like that. So it's given me a pretty flexible schedule. Well, good, man. Very nice. So what is, what, what, how, so 20 years, man. I mean, 20 years seems like a long time. You're, you're still a young dude, man. When you're be 40, 42 in a couple of weeks. So semi young. Well, I mean, I'm 45, I feel, but I act like I'm 21, but this week <laughs> yeah, I look like I'm 56. Too. So yeah, I, uh, I started out in college. I went, I went to school to school for business uh, 18 and just started working in restaurants as kind of a way to pay the pay my way and really fell in love with the culture and the people and the industry and the, the it's, you got to admit it's just a crazy mix of people that you meet in every it's restaurant the it's, it's pretty it's like a it's like a circus Dude, it's, it's so funny you just said that because I did my first our first industry night at my new place uh, this Friday or Monday night this past Monday, and it's exactly what I said. I said we, we've got to we've got to do something that nobody else is doing. Anybody can go to an industry night. We've got to do something that nobody else is doing. So we actually hired a series of performance artists. So I have like flamethrowers and sword swallowers, and I had like a hoop dancer, and you know just something to do a little bit different because it is this business is so much of a circus. Yeah, I mean, you meet where? What other industry will you meet people in one room, which is a kitchen, 
from all over the world, different parts of the country, yeah. uh, different levels of success and, you know, different stations. It's just, uh, it's quite a melting pot, if you will. It's, it, it's, 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 um, it's funny to watch. And I, I mean, I'm lucky in my world where I get to go back and forth from, from different kitchens all over the world. And, and I do, I see just, you know, it's almost like you can put a, you can put a Kevin in any of these kitchens, you can put a Brian in any of these kitchens. You know, we've all got the we've all got the same people. They may just have different names and different appearances. Uh, you know, like right now, I've got an, I've got a dishwasher who I had to fire a couple months ago because one of my hostesses came back and she they got in a huge fight, racial slurs, yelling and screaming, and I had to fire both of them. Even though it wasn't this guy's fault, he really got attacked. But the current situation at that point made me have to have to terminate both of them. Um, this guy is like a, a, he's, a, he's an artist. I mean, an actual artist. He does all of the artwork in the restaurant for us. He was our dishwasher. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing in the business, the ability to multitask and do many different things, you know, because you're working when everybody else is off and you're off when everybody else is working. So you got to be able to do different things unless it's like us where we work all the time. That's true. Seems All like it's the time. Never ending, man. And especially now, I mean, you've got to be having that kind of, I, I mean, I don't know. For me, I remember when my first daughter and even my second daughter was born, there was kind of that freak out phase. Like, shit, I got to work. I got, I got weddings. I got college. I got, you know, I, I, I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. I mean, I found that I was constantly working uh, when I start when I found out that my wife was pregnant. Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly working, and but, uh, my daughter Ryan is eight months now, so we're kind of in a groove. Uh, we're in baby mode already. So the other one coming wow. in the summer, you know, a lot of people are like, "What are you going to do with two? Like, we're already in baby mode. We already have the diapers and changing tables, yeah. and we're, you know, we're already in that mode. Why wait five years and do it again?" So, but it, it it is a balance, and it's hard to do. Luckily, my wife works at a private school, so she's at work during the day, and and. 90% of my stuff is at night. Right. You know, so when I'm home with my daughter, I can, I'm shooting emails. I'm, you know, podcasting with you. I'm, I'm yeah. making calls. I'm doing that kind of stuff. And then I head out to the restaurant or the private chef dinner or the events kind of at the end of the day. So it works out well for now. So, so where, so 20 years in the business, college, you started doing stuff, business, then you got into the circus world, as we were saying. So, so how, how did it progress from, from that college phase into, you know, what's going on with what you do now? It was just like a natural progression. I would feel like, you know, I would master a certain station or a restaurant and I would move on to the next thing and I'd get as much as I could from that experience and kind of just it, literally like climbing a ladder that you'd get to the next rung and you'd be hungry to learn the next thing. And, you know, uh, you know, started out as a short order cook, just making sandwiches and burgers and things like that. And like happens to probably everybody in the restaurant business, saute chef didn't show up one night on a Friday, fully booked restaurant. I was the next one in line. Chef throws you right in and says, you know, gives you a quick tutorial. And then you've just like that, you've moved up the ladder. You know, you show you show that you can do a good job. You show up, um, and so for the first ten years, I basically just put my head down and worked in restaurants and catering companies and just busted ass. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to where I am now. You know, I've always prided myself on the fact that I was a chef first, and I put all that time in in the business and becoming a chef. And then all the TV stuff and the books and all the fun stuff, like that's an added. You know, that's a great addition to what I do, but I'm a chef first. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, there's so many different personalities and chefs and levels and fine dining and pub food, like, um, you know, but I, I take pride that I was a chef first and now this, all this other stuff I feel like is, is bonus, you know, so yeah. that as you know, it keeps it fresh and exciting to do new things. Dude, I totally agree. It's such a huge part of, of, of what I do. It's funny because whenever I get involved with a new production company or, you know, I mean, and, and you know, like I do, you start to get to a point where production companies start to reach out to you. They start to have conversations with you. And one of the first things that I say to people, and I, I had one of these meetings last night as soon as I landed, um, uh, you know, I said to the guy, look, first and foremost, I'm a chef. I, I'm not an actor. I'm not an, you know, I'm not talent. I'm a chef. So give it to me. Give it to me straight. Make it happen. Tell me exactly what you need because there's always that kind of producer talk and um, that coddling of of people while they're on. And I'm like, I want to give you what I can as fast as possible. Exactly. Yeah. The production. Yeah. It's two very different worlds. You know, when you're when you're cooking (laughs) for 250 people on a Saturday night, it's much different than when you're making two dishes on a morning show or on a TV show and the timing and, you know. I mean, there's times where you, even in some of these competition shows, you know, you, you, I've been on both sides where I've been a competitor and a judge. And sometimes you make a dish and it sits in the window for an hour and a half while they're fixing lights and getting the, you know, judges in place and getting the right shot. So by the time actually things are tasted, it's, it's a much different situation. So two very different worlds, but both equally fun. Yeah. What, what is that world of, I, I, I do not do competition shows. It's kind of a, a rule of mine and, I'm not a fan of them on my own personal level. I love watching other people do them. You know, I'm a huge fan of a bunch of stuff that's out there right now. What what is what is the uh, you know how how is that? What what is that like for you while you're doing those shows? Well, for me, the biggest thing is you know I I want to put myself up against other chefs because the chef world is very competitive. Yeah. Whether you're in a restaurant and there's five restaurants on your block, you want to do as well and or and better than the chef next door. Um, so I think there's natural competition there. Uh, I've been an athlete all my life, so that, that plays into it. I just, I just love to compete. It is stressful and it's not really with some of the shows that you were mentioning. It's not always about the best food. There's always a lot of more, you know, there's political things and people have a better story and something is better for drama. And so that's one of the things I don't like about that side of it, but I think competition is healthy and, you know, all the things I've done, whether I've won or lost or second or first, you know, I take something from everything that I do. Just like when you're in a restaurant, you want to take a little bit from that, you know, what you learned and bring it to the next place. So it's it's just like, you know, put yourself up against other chefs, learn something. Winning is fun. Uh, not going to lie about that, but <laughs> but you learn something. If you're not learning something every time, what's the point? Right. No, I totally agree. What is the, uh, I mean, what, what was your, so of all the competition shows that you've done, what was the What was your favorite one? Well, I, the Bobby Flay one I just did was a lot of fun. Um, and it's a I great, did, it's a great atmosphere up there. I've judged, uh, I think four or five times up there for those guys. Again, I, I don't do the competition, but I love the judge part. So right when they, and it was such a good episode that they actually asked me back to be a judge next season, which oh, is good, pretty dude. cool. Congratulations, man. That's yeah. Awesome. So it's, it's a lot of it is about just having fun and, you know, making yourself, putting yourself across in the way that you want to be portrayed and not letting I mean, I'll tell you behind the scenes secret about that. I, uh, 
you know, the intro for that thing is a big thing. It's like WWE. It's yeah. like rock concert. You know, there's smoke. It's and a music great cranking. studio, dude. It's a Beautiful. great set. So I had this idea with these two um, blow torches. I was going to come running out with two blow torches, flame, and they were like, no way. You're going to set the place on fire. So I f- we finally dealing with the producers. I got them to let me come out with one. That was already lit. I come out running to Bobby Flay. I give him the let's go motion. And the first time I came out, my blowtorch went out. Right? So, And they're like, no, just keep going, keep going. And I'm like, no way. I ran right off set. And, the, and Bobby Flay's like, you got to come back. We're rolling. I'm like, nope. Because I knew, you know, I have the power to make myself look the way that I want to, to you know, as, as good as I do. So I ran back, lit the thing up, made sure it was lit. Uh came running out smoke fire you know music and actually it made the promo so i was on every episode of beat bobby flay for that whole season because it was like one of the top five entrances or whatever there you go but you know after doing it for so long most people would just you know they're just sitting there listening to the director and a producer and they're doing whatever they're told and then sometimes you know they don't come across you know they're not portrayed the way they want to because you know and all the, they have the creative control to make you look however you want. Yeah, it's the truth. So, I, you know, I've done it enough to know that if there's something I want to come across, I'm going to make it come across. Well, there you go, man. You got to do it. I mean, it, it, you're in it. You're literally in a competition on a daily basis in this industry at this point. I mean, especially with the TV stuff. And although there's been some major changes with TV, I mean, a lot of these networks are going away. You know, I mean, travel's not doing food anymore. Uh, I mean, they're doing the stuff that they have, but they're not pulling in new new food shows. You know, there's there's a lot of changes that are happening right now. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything; things become so saturated that you know everything's watered down. And you know, I actually haven't been watching Food Network that much, but Cooking Channel, which is a, a you know a sister channel to them, uh, they're actually doing cooking shows. Yeah, and they're they're talking about food and they're doing the stuff that you and I like to see. I mean, the competition stuff is fun, but some of it gets out of hand. A, a lot of it, you know, turns into a game show rather than a cooking show. Right. And uh, I'm into the food, basically, and the cocktails. So what else have you done? So what what other shows have you done? That so you... I've, done Chef, I've done Chef Wanted with Amberell. Um, she's awesome. Yeah, she's great. We had a great, great weekend. We filmed in Cincinnati. And again, you know, it's just about networking and making those contacts. I, I still speak with some of the story producers and the people from that show all yeah. the time. Um, I was a chef expert for Gordon Ramsay on Hotel Hell. Nice. Um, and again, he's a super great guy. All the producers and they just amazing people and keep in contact because, you know, and you want to do your best because those are the people that are going to reach out to you again with opportunities. And it's just it, it's it is all about who you know, but if you can't produce, then it really doesn't matter who you know. So it's a mix of the both. It's, um, so I've done those three, and then a, a slew of the morning, all the morning shows and things like that, and you know, looking to do more. I've been approached a few times about hosting a few th- upcoming things, and so we'll see what happens. Nice man. What uh, what was your what was your thought on Cincinnati? Uh. The downtown area, I mean, I, I went in like January, so it was like 14 below. Oh, my God, yeah, it's brutal over there. The wind is whipping through the city streets. Uh, but we filmed at Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse Precinct. Yep. Which is, uh, I guess, the top-rated Zagat Steakhouse in the country. Yeah. Beautiful old um, stone actual police precinct back in the 1800s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Redone. It's a beautiful steakhouse. But 
I had a really good time that weekend in the city. It's a, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Cincinnati. I have, uh, I have a lot of clients down there. I deal with a restaurant group called 4EG, and they have, I guess, probably 18 restaurants now, 18 bars and restaurants now. Um, I actually opened up uh, Lachey's, Nick and Drew Lachey's place with the 4EG guys down there. I did the food for the initial opening and um, all of that. And then uh, there's some great – did you get a chance to go out at all? Just in the downtown area. So okay. I did, you know, there was a little brewery there and a cocktail bar called Mint. And, okay. and and then Jeff Ruby's place, we were kind of stuck in there the rest of the weekend. All right. Well, if you ever get back, dude, you got you have to go. There's a, an awesome bar down there called Igby's, which is an old, it's a huge old warehouse that was it was kind of rehabbed and designed. And, and it's a mixology bar and they do an awesome job. Just a beautiful, beautiful job. Another great little spot around the corner called the Righteous Room, which is probably one of my favorite bars in Cincinnati. It's just a it's a it's a shotgun bar. You walk in, it's got a really cool tin ceiling, red walls. Bartenders are awesome. You walk out back, and there's like this wide open. Uh, it's it's a small area, but it's a big wide open courtyard that runs uh, in in like in between these four buildings. It's kind of a neat space, but Cincinnati's awesome. They've done a tremendous job of kind of building that city up. Yeah, very nice. I think I'm definitely going to get back there at some point. I'm working with a company now called Art of Flame where they produce these grills um, that's kind of like a plancha around the outside, and there's an open flame in the middle. Oh, nice. And they produce it in Cincinnati, so I'm going to get down there. I'll definitely check those places out. Yeah, well, before you go down, just give me a shout, and I'll uh, I'll give you a couple of contacts and um, all that. And then you got to get in. There's a great little section called OTR, which is over the Rhine, and – it is just on the uh, on the side um, or just near like Kentucky, the Kentucky side. But there's the bars are just amazing. Absolutely wonderful. I mean, there's a great place down there called Bakersfield. They do this crazy. Uh, um, they, they, they have great tacos and whatnot. There's another place called um, the Eagle, which is their French, their uh, fried chicken, which is badass. There's a buddy of mine. His name's uh, Chaz Barricado, who's the corporate chef for a group called Thunder Group. And they they just do an amazing job. So I'll definitely hook you up with some guys down there, man. For sure. So, um, so you travel as well. You're no stranger. You get out there. You're on planes. You know, we, uh, we, we, we actually, uh, we just talked before we started actually recording about um, the 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 West Coast flights, which just suck. Oh, brutal. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, quick story about that. I, I was going out for uh, the chocolate festival out out in L.A. called Indulge L.A. and uh, it was during the biggest storm in Boston this year. And I, so I, re, I rebooked my flight to do it early to try to get out before the storm. Ended up sitting on the runway for three hours before uh. we even took off. Got diverted to Philly. So what's normally a six-ish hour trip took me 22 hours to get to Boston from Boston to L.A. And it was brutal. Yeah. Just, you know, and I'm 6'3", 230. So I'm no little guy trying to sit in these little, you know, I mean, JetBlue has extra space and whatnot. But it's still. <laughs> it's not much. It's still not it's, enough. It's not 6'3", 230 enough. No. And then, you know, a lot of times you're jumping off the plane and you're going into a kitchen and you're you're cooking for 200 people and you're, you know, depending on timing and stuff like that. It's not like you're going on vacation. Hey, I'm going to sit by the pool for two hours and recharge my battery. You know, it's so funny, man. People think that there's this crazy lifestyle behind all that. It's really not. I I always tell people that that's the hardest part is all the travel and and the, you know, the itineraries and all the getting the stuff to where you need it to be and dealing with your sponsors and all that. The cooking part for you and I is the easy part. It is. You know, we show up and like, okay, we're in our element all of a sudden and we're just, you know, rolling. 
when you know it's it's getting there and making sure that your the correct food is where it's supposed to be and then people you've never worked with before are doing what they're supposed to be doing so it's definitely a balancing act what uh how long were you out there when you got out there i was only out there for three three days this last trip so and the first one was blown because it took me one full day to get out there (laughs) (laughs) and then the next morning was the event all day and all night and then i had about two three hours to myself and then flew right back. So, you, so it's the normal world of doing what we do. Did you get a chance to go eat anywhere? Or were you just eating while you were while you were working? I didn't get there. Was a it was I stayed at the Omni in L.A. right in downtown, and they have a um, a nice restaurant right in there. I can't remember the name, but we had a big dinner there after, and they did a really great job. But I didn't get to go out any to, to any of the local spots on this trip. But next time for sure. Good man. Yeah, my buddy. Uh, my buddy's actually opening a bar next week. Um, he's a buddy of mine from the show. We actually was on the first episode of Duff Live. He's uh, Michael Tips, so I'll hook you up with him. Go to his bar, sit down, and check it out. Sorry, I did yawn there for a second. I was on planes all day yesterday. Um, what? Uh, what's your favorite city? Uh, you know, being a New England boy, I, I want to say Boston, but Jesus, you know, for different reasons, I love San Francisco. Yeah. And that was, had a huge food scene before, you know, any of these other food scenes popped up. Um, you know, LA is fun. I was just in New York city yesterday. Um, went to Billy Joel with my brother. What a good time that was. Dude, what a Madison, great show. Madison square garden. I mean, Can't be. He has, I, I think he has, uh, he, he does like eight or nine shows a year at Madison square garden. Yeah. I think he's sold out something like 45 in a row. That's crazy. Um, but just something that I've always wanted to do is check out a show at MSG. So, uh, got to do that. Uh, went to a cool little place called beer culture, yeah, right in yeah. New York, right in New York city. I know it. Um, the limited menu, but the, it's, uh, a quick secret about that place too. They have, it's almost like you're walking into a package store. They have these glass cases with all the different kind of beers, everything you could imagine. Um, and you basically have to, you know, choose your beer and bring it to the bartender and they'll open it for you. But in the corner, there's a little old white refrigerator with the pull handle on the front from like the fifties. Right. And it's called grandpa's fridge. <laughs> you open that up. It's like Stroh's and Meisterbrow and all the old stuff. Nice. Your parents used to Knickerbocker. Drink. Yeah. That's in there. And everything in that refrigerator is three bucks. That's awesome. So, you know, that's something you wouldn't know unless you went in, if, you know, somebody would tell you about that, but that's a cool little thing. Just, you know, just like you were talking about Cincinnati and, networking with the other chefs because chefs know where the good places are right yeah, which, i was just having this conversation last night as well yeah i mean they've been to all the cool they, you know we go out to dinner after events and we go out for drinks and and it's just you usually ask the chef hey where would you go get a drink after work and then it kind of goes from there so you know, got to know the ins and outs and i think chefs are a good way to get that info it's funny i was in uh, i was in maryland on Tuesday night and I was having dinner with some friends when I got down there I had to do some client stuff and I uh, I, I looked at the waitress and I said hey I, I need a dive bar you gotta you gotta find me a dive bar and she looked at me like well well why are you asking me that like she was an older waitress like long gray hair and uh, she she said well hold on I'll check with Jenny like Jenny will know Jenny. And I was like, Jenny's the fun person though. Right. She's the one like that's, I want Jenny. I want the fun person who goes and she's like, yeah, yeah. Jenny goes to the bars all the time. And then it, it was, it was kind of like it, she walked away. And then 10 minutes later, 
uh, somebody else walked past and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to find our server. I was trying to find out, you know, a good dive bar. And the woman, and the woman just kind of looked at me and she said, well, who was your server? I said, uh, the woman with gray hair. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't think she works here. I said, well, she mentioned somebody named Jenny. Yeah. We don't have a Jenny who works here. So finally I'm like looking around for this server, uh, this waitress. And, and I turn around and she's directly behind me. And I said, that's, that's her right there. And she said, well, no, that's, that's her name's not Jenny. I said, I know, but she's the server that I was looking for. And the woman said, well, well, yeah, but you said Jenny. And I'm like, oh, my God. I, I felt like I was on who's first edition because it's <laughs> happening directly in front of me. And I finally said, she told me there was a woman named Jenny who could help me find a dive bar. And she's like, there's no Jenny who works here. And then the waitress with the long gray hair came over and she said, no, he means Jen. And the girl was like, oh, yeah, Jen's in the other room. <laughs> and, and I immediately looked at some friends of mine and I said, if I would have asked the chef that, I would have had five dive bars within. He would have given me ranges. He would have told me how much it was to get there for an Uber, which one was closest to my hotel, where I should crawl home from. It, it, it was like just to find out where a dive bar was, was a 15 to 20 minute process. But if I would have asked a chef, not only would he have shown, he would have told me, he would have probably driven me there and had a couple of beers with me. Exactly. You got to cut out the middleman and go straight oh, to the chef. Sometimes the middlemen are just the deadly ones. Unbelievable. So what? Uh, so okay. So Boston, Cincinnati. Um, so when you're in San Francisco, do you get a chance to go out and eat out there? Because there's a great roasted crab place. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get to go out to eat. Uh, went to a place called Frajan. I don't think it's there anymore. This was a few years ago, but it was amazing. Like you know. There's different different types of dining. Sometimes you you like, all right, show me the fine dining, sir. You know, I want to sit and have a bunch of courses and try some new stuff. And other times, you know, being a chef, the simplicity of it all is the best part for me. So a lot of pub food and, and easy, very accessible stuff. Um, but that crab place you're talking about, I'd love to hear about that. It's called it's it's actually called Than Long T H N H. T H A N H L O N G, and there's a picture of the of a of a Dungeness crab on their sign, but they do a roasted crab and they do a garlic noodle. That when you walk into the place, it just kind of looks like a normal Chinese restaurant. On the right hand side is this tiny little bar, and the most expensive bottle of wine that they had at the bar that we had purchased was thirty five dollars. Wow! So it was like you know they didn't they didn't they didn't rape you on pricing or any of that. And then when you start to go up through the dining room, every single table has crab and garlic noodles on it. There you go. Like it's one of those places that that's what they're known for, and that's what they do. So the next time you go to San Francisco, you let me know, and I'll send you the 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 link for it. But it's Than Long. So Than Long in San Francisco, we're talking about you, and we love you, and I fucking love you. Just yeah, and then the Chris Constantino's got a couple spots out there. I tried he one does. of his spots. I think it's uh, he's got some different ones now, but he always does a great job too. Coxcomb. I, I haven't yeah. been to Coxcomb yet, but I'm a huge fan of the rooster in itself. In fact, I just got a, a tattoo of a rooster on my body. But uh, he uh, he's I'd like his transformation of what's happened over the last couple of years with him. Yeah, he started off doing all the, you know, the awful portions of the animal and things like that. I think he still does that to a certain extent. But he's I mean, he I think he won Top Chef Masters. And yeah, I mean, and he's right here. He's originally from near me. I think he's from Portsmouth, Rhode Island, which is right down the road from where I'm from. So well, it's uh, pretty did you, cool. Did you see his speech about what it was like being on? Uh, you know, being a TV chef. No, I didn't. Dude, it's it was it was unbelievably powerful. 
Really? It was unbelievable. He, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he actually he started to really kind of tear up at one point because he was talking about the travel world of 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 what was going on, and he was, uh, you know, of what it's like to be a TV chef and how he originally had gotten involved because he thought he was going to be utilizing his skills, and what he ended up utilizing was really just a personality, where he was going out and having to drink, you know, gallons of hot sauce, and how it totally ruined his insides. This show that he was doing. And how he and, and it's kind of funny because what you had mentioned about, you know, you said you wanted to do something on air and they're like, yeah, maybe not two, maybe one. You went out and then you had the balls to say, no, I want to do it again. And they're like, no, but you did it anyway. He kind of, you know, he talks about how it's hard to stand up to a producer because they have the vision of what's going to go on and they're putting you on TV and he was doing it to kind of maintain that world, but that he would never do it that way again ever that he would really stand up for himself yeah it just goes back to nobody's gonna work as hard for you as you are so if there's something that you want to come across you have to make that happen and you know it, it may piss the producer off at the moment but when the finished product comes out they're usually pretty happy yeah so when you uh when you travel you said JetBlue. do you have a certain airline you fly i fly JetBlue a lot yeah I, it's been well, they're big know, up there aren't they yeah yeah I, um I'm headed to Nassau in the Bahamas in two weeks to do a um, private chef charter on a yacht right outside Atlantis. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm using JetBlue for that. So, I mean, I, they, they seem to be the most accessible, you know, well-priced, best uh, direct flights because, you know, when you do what we do as much as we do, you want to take all the stops, as many out of it. You want to fly direct every Seriously. single time. So who does most of your booking? I mean, are you doing all your own booking for this stuff or do you have an agent or you have a manager? Who's handling a lot of your stuff? So I do uh, most of it myself. My wife helps a lot. She's a big help in, uh, you know, emails and things like that. But I've just, um, you know, I've been doing it for enough time where there's all these show producers and whether it's a festival owners or producers that I'm pretty much tied in a lot. So I, a lot of them come to me now, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, at the beginning you're trying to get yourself out there and do as much as you can, which I still am. But it's become a lot easier just because, you know, I mean, I get to talk to you and other chefs and everybody has, you know, great contacts, great advice. Um, I do have a few companies that I work with that help me out. Some of my sponsors are good at marketing me and doing so. I let them do a lot of it, too. But, you know, it's it's a, I have a great team, but it's mostly me. Yeah, usually is. Yeah. Usually is. So what was your uh, what was your experience like with uh, Hotel Hell? I had an amazing experience. I mean, again, it's not maybe not one of the shows that I'd want to do, but um, Gordon was in town filming, and he was rehabbing a hotel right down the road from the restaurant that I was consulting at at the time. Uh, they called me the night before, and they're like, "We want to come into your kitchen, and we, you know, Gordon wants to show the owners of this hotel how." A, a real kitchen is supposed to be run, what it's supposed to be look like, what the walk-in is supposed to look like, how things come off the pass. Um, so they just came in with a camera crew. We spent the whole day in there, went through my walk-in and how everything was labeled and in different things were in different locations, kind of explained how what things should come off what station to make things easy. Um, and I had a great experience with that. I mean, I know Gordon gets a bad rap because, you know, he does a lot of things on TV for drama, but I got to have a 10 minute private conversation with him and we talked about family and life and what was going on. Um, and he was super great guy to me and I'd love to work with him again just because, you know, you see him screaming and yelling and throwing things. 
that's a lot for drama for TV, you know? It's the it's the world of a producer uh, uh, doing what you got to do, you know, making a there producer you well, do what I mean, you got to do. If you look back at, like, some of the old BBC shows that he did, he was much more calm. And then as soon as he started doing the American shows, it was like, turn it up to 11 and start <laughs> throwing plates and, you know. But, you know, just like most of these chefs, great in real, quote unquote, real life, super great guy. Yeah. I love uh, I was always a big fan of the F word. Yeah, that's that's coming again. I think a new season's coming around. Uh, uh, but like, a BBC version or an American version? I, th- I believe there's an American version coming around. That's the one with uh, different families that cook together. Is that the right one? I, I don't know. I, I'm, Dude, I'm really a weird dude. I don't have TV. Okay. I have Netflix. There you go. We don't. I mean, it's just a waste of money if you think about it. I mean, I've got two kids that live in my house with me. Uh, you know, I mean, they don't. They watch Netflix, man. Nobody yeah, watches because- TV. And my sister lives with me, but but she watches. You know, she watches Hallmark shows. She loves her 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 like dramedies. You know, that sort of stuff. Right, and with Netflix, you can get whatever you want on demand right at your fingertips, and that's the world we live in right now. You want exactly what you want when you want it. Nobody wants to <laughs> flick through commercials and look at program guides, and they just want to type in the show and start watching it immediately. Do you, do you, do you get to get a chance to watch TV at all? Uh, I watch some. Uh, it's, I, I got it on in the background a lot when I'm doing work at home and things like that, but I, you know, for the most part, not a lot. What's your, if, you, if you have to sit down and watch something, what is it? I'm a big sports guy, so I watch Sports Center all the time just to get highlights and things like that. So I would say that's probably my most watched show is Sports Center. Um, and then I'll have, you know, I'll have the cooking channel on in the background when I'm either writing menus and doing things like that. But uh, and my wife is the same way. She loves the dramedies and the in the in the Hallmark <laughs> yeah, stuff, the after school specials. But she's also on the other side of it. She's also into like the Datelines and the Forty Eight Hours and all those shit. murder mystery things too, which are crazy for for me. Like why? I don't want to watch people getting killed and, you know, all their family crying the whole time. It's How about not the kind you, of entertainment I'm do, looking for? Do you remember the show to catch a predator? Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. Same, same idea. It's How like crazy was that shit. It's, it's, it's depressing. It's yeah. scary. Yeah. I mean, it's scary, especially in this. I mean, think about it now though, like that, you know, to catch a predator was, God, I don't even know. I don't even know when that was on. Hold on. Let me do this real quick. I got to find out because I'm trying to think of the, the difference uh, between then and of what year it was. And now like think about Twitter, think about Instagram, think about all this shit, the access that you have to people. In that underage world. I mean, I, so that was 2004. It premiered in 2004. So that was really kind of pre-Twitter, pre-Instagram, pre-Facebook. Think, dude, think, that was 13 years ago. How yeah, that might have been that? MySpace, and you couldn't find anybody on there. No. But now you just type in a name or any, you know, I mean, you can get access to anybody, watch, which is makes things scary i mean having information at your fingertips is really cool and if you need something like you just pulled up to catch predator in less than three seconds that's really cool it's also scary if it gets in the you know in the wrong hands well i remember when uh when periscope first came out do you ever did you ever do anything on periscope briefly and and briefly for me as well and i and as soon as i saw it there was a there was a uh one of the posts was cooking uh, cooking a burger naked or something like that. Well, n- no. So up, and it was a girl. So I'm like, all right, what the hell is this? So I like click on it, and there was just a girl sitting in her car talking. 
And, and what she said was, I am going to do everything in my power to get more followers on Periscope this weekend than Ellen has. <laughs> and what this girl did was kept posting stuff like that. But then there was, you know, obviously there was no naked cooking of a burger going on, but she was just sitting there talking. She still to this day, I get pop ups on my phone that Jennifer Lynn, I think her name was, is live again. And this is a girl who like drives down the LIE in New York, smoking a cigarette, talking on her phone, periscoping. We got her driving down LIE in New York, smoking a cigarette. Yeah, I mean, and, you and got a lot. You, hundreds you of lot. thousands of people that watch her. Yeah, and and for no good reason because they're bored and they, they uh, and it's like, dude, I want to interview her. I'm totally fucking interviewing that girl. <laughs> I want to find out Julie Lynn Periscope. Sorry, I got to put in my notes, man. I got to do that. Well, you should make a deal with her if you get her on the show that she has to cook a cheeseburger naked. <laughs> exactly. Funny part, she's she's very uh, she's very Amy Winehouse, uh, pre-famous Lady Gaga esque. So she's not a bad looking woman. But she no, smokes. she's she's edgy and she knows how to get the clickbait yeah. for the chefs by cooking you know yeah. cooking cheeseburger naked. I would probably click on that. I'm not gonna lie. But she smokes, dude. I can't really? do the smokers. Yeah. No, but who smokes anymore? Well, that's what I, I met some people. I was in Cincinnati or I was in uh, Grand Rapids the other night and I was hanging out with some people and I walked outside to call my daughter and there's like 15 people outside smoking cigarettes. I, and I just noticed it in New York City yesterday as my brother and I are driving out of the city, everybody walking across the street is smoking butts. And I'm like, does this many people really still smoke after, you know, I thought it got cut way back. I was never a smoker, uh, which in our trade and industry is tough yeah. because everybody needs a smoke break but I, I we were amazed about how many people are actually smoking not vaping not doing any of that stuff actual smoking cigarettes i smoked I, for 27 years 27 years dude that's a long time and you're done now i quit that's got i guess it's probably six years ago give or take it was uh it changed everything about me it changed the way i cooked like I used to, you know, I, I felt like I always had bold flavors with things that I did, but I noticed after I quit smoking that my, my, my flavors were so much more pronounced and actually more precise. If that is kind of what I'm trying to say, you know, because my palate had changed so much that, that I, I, I mean, it really, it really honed in on what I wanted to do. And I wish I, I wonder what would have happened with my career. Not that I haven't had a, a bad, not that I haven't had a good career, but I wonder what direction my career would have taken if I didn't smoke. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, like never having been a smoker, I'm sure it, it dulls your senses and your taste buds and smell yeah. and everything. So it's probably a dramatic change. And you look like shit. So there you go. Yeah, and you probably felt a lot better after a little while, right? <laughs> I was out with uh, – dude, it took two years. Really? It took two years for me to really feel great. Because I was, I, I mean, look, I'll, I'll get disgusting. I was hacking shit up for, for months. I was well, sick forever. Yeah. yeah, I was sick for a long time, dude. 20 plus years of poison in your body. And Takes at the end, I, I was smoking two packs a day. Wow. I knew that I could smoke five cigarettes on my way from work, from my house to work. Like that's <laughs> yeah, how like... calculated it was. Wow. I, well, my good chef, for you. My chef in my place right now, when him and I first started working together, he could smoke a Marlboro Red in probably three to four drags. Wow. And we would run out back in the middle of shift. I mean, we worked at it. We were at a corporate place at that point that we were doing shit. I don't know. We were doing 20,000 on a Saturday. 
And we would have, you know, two and a half seconds to run out back and smoke a butt. And I'd go out, I'd grab the, the fucking milk crate, which is the greatest chef seat ever. Right. With a towel over top of it. Um, and uh, run out back by the dumpster and smoke a butt. And he would suck it down in like three seconds. And I'd be like, what the fuck was that? Dude? <laughs> it's just crazy. So that, yeah, that was a weird little world of all that. But um, any vices? You, have you ever, you know, were you ever a drug addict or did you ever get caught up in any of that crazy chef world stuff? No, never, never drug addict, never smoked. But I, I, I love to have co- a cocktail and, you know, a bunch of beers with the crew and things like that. But never, uh, yeah. you know, never had any problems with it. Knock on wood. I never, I never, I mean, I don't know. I, I Maybe I was just oblivious to it. I mean, I drank, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'd still go out and have some fun and stuff like that. But I never got involved in Coke or or any of that stuff that I always heard about. And, and I don't know why, I guess, because I never, you know, I mean, I worked at the Four Seasons and stuff like that. But, I mean, even weed, like I smoked weed once when I was 14. I didn't try weed again until I was 28. And then I don't think I actually like really smoked again until I was like 38 or 39. But I never got involved in any of it. It always dulled what I was trying to do. Exactly. And it probably helps you are where you are today because of that. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a slippery slope, especially uh, in the restaurant business. You can get whatever you want, whenever you want, because just because of the crazy mix of people that we were talking about. Um, so, you know, like fun just like you, I love to have cocktails. I love to go out for beers with the boys and stuff like that. But, you know, you got to do it in the right way because the next day you have work, you have a family, you have things you got to take care of. And the people that are successful today, 90 percent of them are probably – you know, haven't gone down that road too much. Yeah. Everybody's dabbled and everybody's tried their, you know, done their share. But if you want to have a long term successful career, you got to, you got to stay focused. Yeah. So what is, uh, what was your, I, I, so in the brick and mortar world, what was your favorite spot that you worked, ran, whatever it was? So I talk about this in the book, but the, I, I was, uh, I was probably 28. I'd worked at a lot of cool restaurants. Uh, I took a job at a place called Aqua Bistro in New Hampshire. Beautiful, pic- picturesque New England town. Um, farm to table before farm to table was, you know, a buzzword. Um, wine bar, all kinds of wines from California. Um, and I was, I took the job as executive sous chef because I knew it was a, you know, I was taking the next step. Food-wise, culinary-wise, a lot of people can be an executive chef at certain places, but then you step into a different world it's much, at a much different level. Um, but the chef ended up leaving after about six months of me being there. So I stepped in, um, took over that place as the chef and general manager, um, and kind of spread my wings on the culinary side where you know, we're, we're cooking whole fish and all the sauces from scratch and all the real scratch farm-to-table type stuff. So that, that was a big one in my career. The last one that I was at, I was the executive chef at Washington square tavern in Boston. And that, that was uh, I take a lot of pride in that place because all the chefs would go out there for dinner on their nights off or That's afterwards cool. for cocktails. Um, you know, Ming Tsai would bring his crew in there after they shut down to come in and get some apps and drinks. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, a rite of passage. If the chefs want to go there and hang out, it's a probably a pretty good place. So that was a good one as well. Nice. What was your, uh, what would you say your, uh, what would you, the one thing you learned from Washington? What was that? 
if there was anything you could say. This is like the interview process. This is what I love about talking to chefs. What was it's the just, one thing that you really love? You feel that 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 was the, something you totally took away from that building? Well, I had full uh, culinary creative control. And I wasn't trying to, I mean, you have to do certain amount of buzzwords and things like that to get people interested, but I was actually cooking my own food the way I wanted to cook it, the way I wanted to eat it. Um, and so, you know, had a lot of integrity behind it because I wasn't trying to please one person or the owner wants to have a lava cake on the menu, just like the movie, you know, it's like, <laughs> um, I was I was cooking the food that I wanted to, getting the ingredients that I wanted to, all you know, fresh fish right out of the pier in Boston and things like that. So it was just um, very stripped down uh, and very comfortable place to work. So I take that away from that place. Worst place. Oh. <laughs> and you don't have to say a name if you don't want to. I mean, you know, I've 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 asked this question to chefs before, and they're like, "Man, I just don't even want to say the name." But, but uh, you know, if you've got if you've got that that hell place, what, yeah. Where- I, so I I uh, I got hired to open a restaurant in Hartford, Connecticut, which the the opening kept getting pushed out, pushed out, pushed out, and they had a place down in Plymouth, Mass. If they said, "Would you go down and be the chef at that spot for a little while while Hartford is being built?" Um, and it was a beautiful space. They put a ton of money into it. They were great on the marketing side, but once I got in there and just the managers were a mess and nobody really knew what was going on. Uh, it was literally a shit show. Um, that was probably the worst. And they shut down probably six months after I left and you could see the writing on the wall. And then they, if, if you Google all their places now, they're, they're having all kinds of issues with landlords and purveyors. And there's just – there's so much red tape involved in our world that the less that you can have at your spot, the better off you are. Yeah. That stuff just pulls you away from the food. You know, the general manager showing up drunk or so-and-so, you know, isn't doing their job. All these things pulls you away from what you're really there for, which managing the people is a huge part of it. But it's about the food. Yeah. In the cocktails. Oh, so anything that stretches you too thin and pulls you from that and you have headaches of, you know, is the front of the house going to show up? Are they presenting the food correctly? Are they doing what they're supposed to do? Um, so it's a, it's a hospitality group based out of Boston that uh, they're not going to be around for much longer. Did you – so did you end up going to that the property? The old, the one that they originally hired you for, or did you quit no, after kept, the first? No, it kept getting pushed back and pushed back, and they making promises and say, you know, we need you, please just stay at this uh-huh. location. And, and it was going that that place was going down the toilet. It didn't matter what I was doing, my bringing my quote unquote celebrity there and my own menu and doing right. all that, and it just was, you know, if I had stayed much longer, it would have been a stain on my own record. Sure, which, which you don't want. You know, you want to align yourself with like minded people that have the same kind of vision and. They want the place to be successful at all costs. Right. I mean, there's a red flag when I'm speaking to the owner of the hospitality company, and he's more interested in making the place, you know, an after-hours hopping nightclub, and says to me, "Well, the food doesn't have to be that good." No, <laughs> just give me a popper, <laughs> so that, and I'll be fine. That, that's a red flag right there. So you can't have a restaurant and and have an owner who doesn't believe that the food has to be, you know, great. No matter what type of cuisine you're putting out, you still want to do the best that you can. 
So if you have to cook, and this is the the standard like uh, mom in the supermarket or you meet somebody on a plane converse, uh, question that every chef gets answer, asked, but what would, what is your go-to meal? What is your – and I have two on this one. So what is your go-to meal at the end of the day? And and I have to mention everybody because this is this is a podcast you can't see. Kevin is a Kevin's a very large man. Kevin is six <laughs> three, two thirty, and you're Jack, dude. I mean, you. I actually wanted to ask you about like like sports and whatnot before we can. So let me do that. Do do you did you play sports? Do you? What is your? Because you're Jack, dude. Yeah, I play sports. I was a soccer goalie for like twenty years, uh, and I play basketball my whole life. I still play in the league with my buddies. Um, and I try to go to gym at least four times a week and try to stay healthy. Try to stay healthy. It's tough when you're, you know, yeah. you can eat and drink whenever you want in the restaurant scene. Oh, it's, it's really, really hard. Yeah. And it's harder as you get older too. As soon as I hit 40, it's like you got to work out twice as hard and you're really going to watch what you eat. Um, but yeah, you know, I, my high school didn't have football. So I played basketball, baseball and soccer, whatever season was in and then kind of stuck with the soccer and basketball thing through my whole life. Nice. I played. Uh, I started playing soccer when I was four, and played all the way up through college. I loved soccer, man. What yeah. a great sport. And I played rugby as well. You know the the sports part, the camaraderie of the kitchen and, and the in the team sport is the same. I just played uh, played hoop with my buddies in Newport last weekend, and you know you sit around and crack jokes and tell stories after you're done playing. It's the same thing in the kitchen. It's a, it's a, it, it sounds cliche, but it is a team. You know, you know, you got a team with you. And it doesn't work without him. So it's the same. I bring that same kind of attitude into the kitchen. I, uh, I was a huge. I uh, mean, I love soccer. I played rugby. I remember uh, playing in my alumni game, uh, playing soccer in my alumni game after I had played probably two years straight of rugby, and I tackled one of the guys in the middle of the <laughs> field, like full on open field, like wrap and drive, tackled the guy. Totally got red carded, kicked out of the game, and never played that. You know, never played back there again. But uh, they never they never invited you back. They never invited me back. Yeah, I don't know why that happened. I, do you know what's funny? When I was in culinary school, we had and and I'll tell you that I went to a small culinary school in Philadelphia. It's the restaurant school. Um, it's now the restaurant school at Walnut Hill College. It's a four year program. The growth that they've had in the last twenty years is 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 beautiful to watch. I mean, they're producing some quality students right now. But I remember sitting in class one day and and like you know one of the girls that was there. Was like, hey, chef, you know, hey, chef, let's like, I haven't even graduated. Hey, Bri, we're uh, we're starting a softball team. Do you want to join? And I kind of looked, and I was like, what the fuck did did, did you <laughs> you asked me to join a softball team in the middle of culinary school? She's like, yeah, we're starting a team. Like the whole class is joining. We're going to do it class against class. And I, and I stopped, and I and I remember saying like, good luck with that. There's no way I can do that. I was working two jobs for free. I was bouncing at a bar at night to make $8 an hour and I was doing, and I was going to school full time. The fuck do I have time for softball? Long story short, there's only two of us from my entire graduating class still left in the business. There you go. The rest of them are playing softball. The rest of them are playing softball. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to figure out what to do. Um, So what's going on for you now? What's your next? I mean, you've got the book coming out. What's up with your knives, man? Yeah, I'm psyched about that. I got a, I got a line of knives uh, from a company called Flint and Flame. They got a uh, a brick and mortar in Bristol, Rhode Island. Also one in Dubai and one in London. But they ship all over the world. 
and it's just a set of you know the four knives that I use the most, my, the most, and they can they custom engrave them. They can you know they come with my logo also, but it's just, it's just a great you know razor sharp German steel. And you know you and I have worked with all types of knives through yeah. the years. I you know who knows what's up on days. somebody's knife rack, and you sometimes just grab it and go. Yeah. But this is a super good product that it's just you know I wouldn't put my name on anything that I. It wasn't super behind, right. uh, and they do a great job. So that that they're putting together that line, and it's going to be live probably within the next couple of weeks. And uh, whenever this podcast comes out, you can use the code ChefKevD, um, and they'll give you a big chunk off. But I'll post all that on the website and stuff. But they're really it's, they're really beautiful knives. So to find the knives, we got to go to your website, which is ChefKevD.com. Yeah, go to ChefKevD.com, and then at the very bottom of the page is all the sponsors that I work with. And, uh, you know, I'll be putting out the promo code so you can get a sweet deal on a nice set of knives. Cool, man. Nice. So how can we find you? First off, let's do this. What, do you have any appearances coming up? I mean, other than your Bahamas trip, what else do you have going on? I got the Bobby Flay judging thing, which is going to start pretty soon. Uh, I got a bunch of private chef gig. I'm, I'm doing a private, a guest chef spot at the revolving door down in Newport, Rhode Island, Cool. just for a week where I just bring my own menu and just cook whatever I want for that entire week. So tell, tell, I, I, I talk to people about this stuff all the time and they're always asking like, how does that work? I mean, is the chef still on premises? I mean, are you just taking over the entire walk-in, taking over the entire kitchen? How is this, how is that working for you and for the restaurant? Well, so this concept, the revolving door, they have a house chef and their thing is that they have different, different guest chefs come in every single month and do a spot, whether it's a week or a month. Uh, last summer I did almost a full month, 25 nights in a row, no days off, but basically you just work with that chef, you give him the, the produce and all, all the things you need him to order and you just run it as your own kitchen. They got a couple guys that work there with all the chefs. Uh, and then when it's not at something that, you know, like the revolving door, which has that kind of concept, generally I would just do like a side specials menu which would be the guest chef menu in addition to their normal menu. So I would come in and have my own station, work with the guys and put out, you know, a couple different dishes of my own signature dishes. Um, or you can do a whole collaboration night with the chef. There's, there's a number of ways to do it, but generally the guest, the guest chef type spots that I do are like, we'll have a little guest chef menu in addition to their normal menu. Okay. All right. So let's get uh, let's get all this stuff out of the way. How can we contact you uh, for whatever it is that we want to contact you for? Yeah, uh, chefkevd.com has all my social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. You can find all that at chefkevd.com, and you can message me through there, or you know, follow me on Twitter, and you know, I'll, I'll message you. And I, I mean, I love talking to different people from different places. That's the that's the best part about social media because how would you get in touch with somebody from, you know, Bayonne, New Jersey or <laughs> South Dakota or you have no, you never would. Yeah. Uh, no, so, it's the truth. So, yeah. Chefkevd.com. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Well, chef, I appreciate your time, man. A tremendous amount. And, uh, I hope, uh, I hope I get to see you soon, you know, whether it be in an airport, I saw, I, I actually, here's a really quick, funny story. I was flying in a couple of weeks ago from somewhere and it was an early morning flight that I had come in and I had gone to the restroom and I was actually standing at the urinal using the urinal and the guy, uh, this guy's like, Duff, what's up brother. And I turn around and it's Robert Irvine chef. The guy's name's Shane. He's a super cool guy. And, uh, 
and he and I'm like, you know, you're kind of embarrassed. You're peeing. You're standing there talking. You're having the conversation. And he looks at me. He's like, dude, you coming or going? And I stopped and I, and I had to think for a second. I'm like, I have I have no idea. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like at that moment, I had no idea what airport I was in. I had no idea if I was going to a location or coming home from a location. It was just kind of funny because he looked at me and then he thought he said, you know, I, I kind of realized after I asked you that question that half the time I don't know whether I'm coming or going either. So, um, but uh, yeah, I hope to hang out with you soon, dude. And uh, congratulations. When's the baby due? Uh, July. Nice. July babies are good. I'm a July baby, man. There so, you go. I'm seven eleven. So, Sweet. That's a good one. I know. I like it. I'm seven eleven seventy one. I'm seventy five. March. There you go. Nice. Well, uh, everybody, do me a favor. Thank Big Kev by uh, going and following him on Twitter and Instagram at Chef Kev D. Go to his website, ChefKevD.com. Check out the book that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Check out his line of knives. Um, Kev is uh, not only a great dude, he's a great chef, and he's an entrepreneur. You know, that's what we like, and, um, and he's aggressive. So, Kev, thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Duff, I look forward to seeing you soon. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, between the experiences that I had at the beginning of the week, heading out to uh, out into the desert and kind of having some time to sit back and chill out, and relax and laugh and do all that stuff, um, to sitting in a in a in a pool and a hot tub, looking up at the stars and watching dancing green lights throughout the middle of the desert, and uh, just kind of chilling, relaxing, and uh, uh, just kind of laughing for a bit. Um, to a dive bar in the middle of the desert, a place called Carly's in Borrego Springs. You guys did a great job during the day and took a little while there, Mr. Casey, but you definitely warmed up at the end of the day and it was a pleasure talking to you and, uh, to the boys over there who were, uh, who were teaching our armed forces how to jump out of planes. Uh, and these guys do it all over the world. It was nice talking to you guys as well. Um, all the way down to uh, going into the Vibe Conference at the Sheraton in San Diego, meeting the chef, the executive chef of the whole property, and meeting the sous chef who prepared the foods from the recipes that I gave them. Um, all the way across to my friends that live out in San Diego and the people that I get to spend time with, I, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, Going out to dinner, heading over to the water bar, the waterfront bar over in San Diego, the oldest bar in San Diego uh, that just has a huge amount of great beers and uh, a great group of people that work there. Uh, they do crazy wings for 75 cents that are just these massive jumbo party wings that are super cool with a fun little menu. Um, heading over on the way back out of the desert into the Bowl Weevil uh, in Ramona, California, where I got to sit down and Pat was my server and... Uh, I had a patty melt that I was able to toss some lettuce and tomato on with a really nice little burger and some beautiful caramelized onions. They do a red caramelized onion there that's pretty tasty because I love a good red onion. Um, you know, just sitting around and drinking original cores in the middle of the desert uh, on the way back and then heading out to a great meal over at the fish market in San Diego and um, just kind of drinking uh, all these fun little boozes and meeting great people. Get to see Lisa Marie uh, from uh, Bar Rescue and, and having a cocktail with Phil Wills and watching him work, um, you know, reminiscent of some times that we had while we were on the show. And um, just all in all, it was a great week, you know, meeting a super cool Uber driver and uh, experiencing stuff like that and staying in a hotel with no power because there were crazy flooding that happened all throughout San Diego and Mission Valley. And my hotel didn't have power for like like 14 hours, um, you know, through the night and then trying to get some work done the next morning. It was kind of challenging. Um, it's amazing how much you think about, uh, you know, how much we hate technology, but how much we need technology at the same time. And, 
um, trying to find a lighter at uh, midnight uh, in the middle of a flood and uh, crazy downpouring rain is always definitely a good time at the same time. So I hope you guys had a good time uh, listening to the show this week. I really enjoyed uh, Chef Kev, um, my buddy out of Connecticut and Boston. Uh, you're a rock star, a uh, consummate professional, and I really enjoyed our conversation. And I can't wait to see you in October at the Philly Food and Wine event that we're going to be doing together. Um, thanks to my Uber driver in San Diego. Thanks to all my friends and all the great contacts that I met this week from Tito's Vodka all the way over to uh, all my friends from Miller Coors and um, just a great amount of people that I got to sit down and have conversations with this week. So thank you all very much. I truly appreciate your time. I appreciate the downloads that you guys are doing. Do me a favor and get out there and share Duffified Live with all your friends. I want to give a couple of shout-outs to my friends over at RadioInfluence.com for producing this and putting it together and all of the uh, patience that you guys have with my crazy travel schedule and the multiple different ways that I send you guys files of um, some of my experiences from you know a video of an Uber driver uh, telling me how to drink and uh, down to some voice recorders that I use and my Skype interviews and all that stuff. These guys do an amazing job. I want to thank you dearly to my friend Michelle um, out at Techno per, or at uh, Techno Solutions out in Breeze, Illinois, who does my website for me, who updates all of that great stuff for me, who takes care of Duffified Live and Duffified Experience Group dot com. Uh, sorry, Duffified Live dot com, Duffified dot com, um, Duffified Experience Group dot com, Chef Brian Duffy dot com. Michelle takes care of all of my websites for me. She updates them every week. Please use her for your website needs as well as some graphic design stuff. She's a super cool lady and just a wonderful, wonderful person. I want to thank Maggie Gagliardi, who is a true artist in everything that she does. Um, Check her out on Instagram and Twitter at MagsArt, M-A-G-Z-A-R-T. Maggie does all of our illustrations for our shows. She's a wonderful, wonderful human being, such a true sweetheart, and very, very talented. I love the work that she does. She really helps us to promote the show through her art and her craft. Um, Please utilize her for any of your art needs. She's really, really pretty cool. She's going to be doing some big projects for us coming up, and I really want to be able to share the wealth with whatever whatever it is that we do for her. Um, I definitely want to thank my company. I know y'all, uh, this is a, a little bit of a plug here. My restaurant group, which is, or my consulting group, which is Duffified Experience Group. Um, I want to let you guys know that I handle big bars, small bars. I do recipe development. We go in and help you guys with organization and finances and, uh, you know, kind of redefining the economics of food service. So if you like this podcast and you like what I talk about and the way that I believe that service should be, uh, if you really want to have a little bit of help with some menu or updating stuff or creating signature items, those are things that I love to do. No group is too big or too small. I, uh, my company will work with you uh, within your budget to help you guys gain um, that, mo- that forward momentum that I know that you're looking for, that forward momentum that you need to kind of drive your business a little bit further. Um, I love to come in and sit down with chefs and have conversations with them. I call them little muse sessions um, where I get to get in. We talk about food for a couple hours. Then we hop into the kitchen and we just start playing. I have one of these coming up in the next week. Um, I, uh, I, I will, I'm going to do a little bit of plug at the end about what I'm going to be doing with some of my appearances and stuff as well. But um, definitely check out Duffified Experience Group. We'd love to get into your restaurant, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter where you guys are. I have put this out there in the past, and I will do it once more. I'm looking to do a project. Iceland, Greenland, Newfoundland. These are places that I want to go. These are places that I want to see. I will waive my fee, which is not 
too expensive, but not inexpensive, to come out and work with your group. You guys take care of my airfare and my hotel. We'll work out a little bit of a percentage on the basis of the items that you sell. And we can come up with something super fun for you guys. But I definitely want to create that experience for myself. Plus, I want to get out there. I want to sit at a bar. I want to have a cocktail. I want to talk to people that live there. These are things that I want to do. Also looking to do some stuff in the Pacific Northwest. I've never, ever been to Seattle, Oregon, Washington. Sorry, Seattle's in Washington. But I've never been to that part of the country. I've been up in Vancouver, but I've never been to those lower states below it. So definitely, if you guys have somebody out there looking for a little bit of help, give them a little nudge. Send them along the way. For those of you who are interested in what I'm doing and what's going on in the next couple of weeks, I will be in Tampa for the next week. I'm opening a restaurant down there in Riverview, Brandon, Florida. I'll let you guys know all the details about the Features Gastro Pub. You can check them out at FeaturesGastropub.com. Do me a favor as well. I will be in Fort Myers, Florida in a couple weeks. I'm going to be hanging out down there with my friends, St. Patrick's Day. I'll be down there. We're going to be doing some great food. I have a little muse session with all my boys in the kitchen over there at the City Tavern. We're going to have some fun. So definitely get down there if you can. It's a huge, huge, huge weekend for these guys. St. Patrick's Day is on a Friday this week. Boys and girls, Aaron Gobra, get out there and have some fun. Follow me. Check me out, ChefBrianDuffy.com. Do me a favor, Facebook, Chef Brian Duffy. Instagram and Twitter, at Chef Bry Duff. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. If you guys ever have any questions for me, please feel free to drop it in a hashtag at AskDuff or tweet me, Instagram me, or just message me. Have a great week, people, and I hope you all have an opportunity to get out there and do something that's going to change the little uh, change your lives and do something with an experience attached to it. Bye-bye. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Radio Influence brings you the best in digital media broadcasting. When it comes to sports, we've got experts like national sports radio host Rich Herrera, the fabulous sports babe, and former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy. Want a good laugh? Then go on the beach with pants and roller girl. Get Duffified live with Chef Brian Duffy or just LOL with Nancy Alexander. And when it comes to real life, dangerous conversation with Scott Ledger and Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill will make you think when it comes to what you want radio influence has you covered find our programming on itunes stitcher tune in radio and radioinfluence.com